0: real heroes have a long-duoless scheme and dueling, a we will see unity, defend our freedom destroy the dictator amay amay oh it's our agents allegiance of
1: freedom
0: hello welcome to the quarter to three games podcast for mid to early february 2018 my name is Tom Chick, and my game of the week is not Gloomhaven. Uh, let's see, so I'm about to talk with a couple of uh, game developers, board game developers, about Agents of Mayhem. Uh, Academy Games, who is known for their historical-themed and war game board games, uh, is launching a new branch called Apollo Games, and they're Their initial project will be an Agents of Mayhem board game. And it's currently got a Kickstarter campaign going. Now I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Tom, Agents of Mayhem got like a 22 on Metacritic or whatever. Uh, You're the only one who liked it. Which, first of all, A, is not true. And B, so what? Uh, However, an Agents of Mayhem board game? That's probably what you're thinking. It's certainly what I was thinking when this was announced. Uh, and looking at it, it looked like just a standard tactical combat game. Uh, when I talk to Uva and Gunta, um, oh shoot, what are their last names? I should have looked that up before I started recording. Uh, when I speak with Uva uh, and Gunta, shoot, what? I, I can't believe, Eichert, good lord, how could I miss that? Uh, they, they are uh, the, the founders and the main developers over there at Academy Games. Uh, when I speak to them, you will see that there are a few reasons that I uh, get even more enthusiastic about the Agents of Mayhem board game, uh, which I haven't kick-started yet. Although, come on, it's Agents of Mayhem. For the theming alone, I'm pretty sure that I'm going to end up kick-starting it, uh, supporting the campaign. However, I have to say, and maybe this is where you are as well, I am a little bit uh, uh, burned out. I'm a little bit discouraged with most Kickstarter board game campaigns. Uh, I think I've been burned one too many times, and not burned in the sense of something wasn't delivered, but burned in the sense of, hey, this seemed like a great idea. It was an inexperienced developer or designer, and the actual end product is a little underwhelming. I play it maybe once or twice and then shelve it. Uh, By the way, one of the few uh, exceptions to that, there's a whaling worker placement game called New Bedford. I think that one holds up very well. But otherwise, most of the board games I've gotten off of Kickstarter, and yes, I'm including Gloomhaven, I have found a little underwhelming. Uh, So in the course of uh, speaking with uh, Uwe and Gunther Eckert, uh, there are three things that uh, I hope you'll notice, and it certainly brought me around, uh, and I didn't plan this, they all begin with the letter E. The first thing is they are experienced with board game design and with Kickstarter campaigns. This is their sixth one. Uh, they know what they're doing by this point. The second thing is they're both engineering nerds. Before we recorded, uh, Gunther was super... Uh, he uh, We had a video connection, and he wanted to show me over the video the little posts that they have designed to build the board—it's a, it's a three-dimensional board with multiple layers—and uh, normally that sort of thing looks—it's it, like rickety, right? You got to be careful not to knock it over, or it's a part of a flick game where you want to knock it over. Uh, but Gunto was, uh, as, as with his engineering background, had this—they have this little kind of twist cap that that holds the layers firmly in place and keeps it from shaking down. He also showed me. The character boards, they're they're, uh, two boards glued together. So these little recesses where cubes and tiles and cards can be put and it it holds them. If you played Scythe, the board game, you know how the little cubes move around. Uh, One of the things Guthrie wanted to show me, and he very proudly held it up to the camera, and with good reason, I think, because it's a cool idea. You slide cards into what are called wells. And it's not just a slot. It's a slot where you slide the card in, but then the card lays down flush with the first layer. Like it's completely immersed in the little cutout on the second layer. So how are you going to get that out? Are you going to stick your fingernail under the edge of the card? So what Gunther showed me... uh, in the same way that uh, like a child might show an art project that he's super proud of, uh, is if you push down on a point on the board, it gently uh, uh, pushes up the edge of the card so you can just grab it and pull it out. And it's just an example of how these guys have engineering backgrounds. They're thinking about this sort of thing. I don't know about you guys, but every now and then I'll get a game that has pieces that are supposed to fit together. uh, And I have no idea what the developers are thinking. Uh, arkham not arkham horror what's the one that has the uh, companion arkham uh, mansions of madness mansions of horror shoot it's that fantasy flight game uh, mansions of madness i think it comes with these these figures and bases and i have no idea what fantasy flight was thinking with these bases they are absolutely useless pieces of plastic i've gotten games where you're supposed to stick a little peg into a hole and the peg and the hole don't line up Uh, Well, I have every confidence that's not going to be the issue with this Agents of Mayhem Kickstarter uh, because we're dealing with a couple of engineering nerds, to their credit. Uh, And then as you're about to hear the third E and the third thing that uh, brought me around, they're just so enthusiastic. And some of that, of course, is their salesmanship, uh, but there's more to it than that. They're not just... Uh, they're not just selling a bill of goods. uh they clearly are super pleased with some of the systems that they've created. They obviously have just a, a lot of enthusiasm about the license uh and I just it, it's kind of really cute to hear them talking about their gameplay sessions. so their enthusiasm you will see uh is pretty obvious so uh, let's go over to uh my conversation with Uva and Gunta Eichert. Uh, and then I'll be back after I've spoken with them. I hope you enjoy. Uva, uh, Gunta, thank you guys so much for joining me. I want you guys first to explain to me, uh, Academy Games is known for their historical games, you guys are, uh, the Agents of Mayhem board game is... Basically, the the premier project, the first project for what you're calling Apollo Games. Uh, tell me about this and why you're doing it. Yeah,
1: so we have a, about ten year history in the board game market right now, but up until now, we've focused on historically themed games. Mm-hmm. So we've made a lot of World War II games, games of American uh, different American wars in history. And uh, that's what we've been known for, of making really high quality, really fun games that introduce people to subjects they normally would not be interested in. And this is our first foray into the sci-fi fantasy realm. And that's why we thought just uh, we we needed to come up with a new branding to separate our fantasy sci-fi from historical brands. And that's where Apollo Games was born. And uh, we have so we have Academy Games with the Parthenon as our logo, and we have Apollo Games with Apollo as our logo, the the archer with the sun behind him.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, is Agents of Mayhem currently the only announced thing that is being developed at Apollo Games?
1: Yeah, that Apollo Games is the flagship product, but uh, the, our, we know, we can tell you about our next project, which is going to be. Uh, a game that's based off of our birth of series, a birth that's of the America series. series. Yep. And that's going to be our first one in a series. That is a sci-fi setting set within our solar system about civil war among all the co- earth and all of its colonies.
0: Using the same conceit with four different players and the, the dice and cubes like that same. Yep. Oh, very nice. Very nice.
1: What's so cool about it. This is Uva. Um, our, our voices sometimes seem yes. to Uva <laughs> <Uwe laughs> is my father. So we, Sounds similar sometimes.
0: So oh, I actually thought you guys were brothers. <laughs> oh wow! Thank you very much. I don't yeah, I either insulted or complimented one of you there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it's soccer season coming up, so I've really got to be in shape for doing the, the high school, and college soccer roughing. So, um, but what we, uh, what I was going to say is, um, what's so neat about also with these games, it's based on our historical games, our birth of America, but in this birth of soul all the planets are going to be moving within the board. So they're turning and rotating. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have things like, again, the simple uh, system of our birth of America. Mm-hmm. But now all of a sudden you think you're safe. The planets rotate and earth is rotating faster, catches up to Mars. And all of a sudden those poor Martians have a bunch of earthlings all over them. So it's uh, again, 5% change, but we want to get people Playing those games who never play a historical game, seeing how fun the system is, and then hopefully drawing them in to our historical game themes. And and these systems are award-winning, so we've always wanted to uh, introduce them to uh, more and more people that make it as accessible to people as possible because they're really fun, engaging systems.
0: Well, this uh, I I don't know your Conflict of Heroes games, but I, I think uh, you guys are probably known. If that was if that wasn't your first thing, that's I, I imagine one of your most successful lines is the Conflict of Heroes system. Uh, how much is Agents of Mayhem using from Conflict of Heroes? We
1: started out with our company because we built I've built up seven built up and sold seven pre successful companies from one of the biggest internet gambling sites to big industrial manufacturing, cutting tool companies, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So when we started the game board company, we were looking what is the easiest, lowest barrier to come into. And since we had a lot of military contacts from our old uh, businesses, we started doing military training games with Marine Corps Army. And we're still, I just got back from Quantico, and we're still working very heavy with these on all types of games. So that was our entry-to-barrier low barrier because the war game market was so old and stodgy. And so we had to come out because we're Euro gamers. We love playing Pathfinder and D and D and all these Magic Euro the games. Mad- that's our thing. And people go, Oh, you guys are war gamers. No, we publish war games because that's our specialty from our past industries. And cause we're German, I guess, but bad stereotypes. Sorry. and, <laughs> and, it allowed us to break into the gaming industry and then go on to where we want to go now. So our birth of America series is actually based on, I'm sorry, our agents of mayhem is based on a game we're working for Marine Corps training on Fallujah. And it is a city combat training game for combined arms strategy. So when, Volition, who loved our games, saw this system says, wow, here we have, we're a first-person shooter computer game, video game. We would love to have a really easy to play, but truly in-depth combat system. Not like these other games where you go in a room, all these enemies come at you, roll a bunch of dice, you kill them. Oh, guess what? We'll go to the next room, more stuff comes at us. It's very repetitive. So that's where agents of Ma'am really comes from from one of our really well developed engines that we're working with the military on yeah and so, it, you
0: go I'm ahead sorry, so it is separate from conflict of heroes like uh, I, I think the connection with conflict of heroes is uh you guys are developing a solitaire like an ai to play one of the sides mm-hmm. and is that the connection to conflict of heroes
1: well it's correct that is that is the the mechanics con- connection they're going to be using the same artificial intelligence But they can both use the same artificial intelligence because the base flow of the game, the base reason why both the games are fun and also realistically tactical, is because they use those same core mechanics, even if they're used in different ways. For example, in both Conflict of Heroes and Agents of Mayhem, when it's my turn, I choose a single character to take an action with, I do my one action with that character, which uses up some of his resources, and then it's my opponent's turn to go. And with this really back back and forth system where you're not just playing out your entire turn from all your characters, but you're thinking about what at this moment is the most strategically pressing thing to do is, is what they both share in common. And okay. some elements like flanking, elevation, um, weak points on units, those are things that apply to real-world military that we carried over to uh, the Age of Mayhem uh, over the top setting and what's even more cool is you're taking these actions and if you're playing two people on a team against two people you're both taking your actions at the same time so one can shoot with heart attack get the harpoon teleport a guy into the open and then hollywood can snipe him off really cool things you can do so even though in this game we've got teleportation we've got all kinds of um really explosions explosions cool fantasy sci-fi stuff that's happening but guess what they still have to use ground earth tactics to be successful mm-hmm.
0: i i think one of the things that uh one of the aha moments i had looking at your your kickstarter campaign and looking at what you're intending to do with this game design uh because at first blush i was thinking oh this is something like like Gloomhaven or Descent or any other thing where you're moving – or Imperial Assault, where you're moving units around and rolling dice. Uh, For me, the aha moment, and I think one of the things that's most attractive to me about this design, uh, is as you mentioned, you can pick any one of your units to move. But the reason that you want to move different units is the one that moves is expending resources. The two, if you're playing with three units, that don't move – are refreshing their resources. Mm -hmm. So I can't just pick one guy and have him go over and over and over and over and do stuff. The game encourages me to use different units to let the other one sort of rest up and refresh. And that's very different from a game where everybody gets one move, one one attack, and you just go through all your units in sequence and then the turn is over and everybody refreshes uh that dynamic choice between who am i going to use this time and who which two are going to rest and refresh this time uh that that's what strikes me as unique about the basic tactical gameplay that you guys have
1: you you hit you hit the nail on the head that was one of the big one of the key things that that implications of that is that your units are never spent there is no reset phase because as i'm taking actions with one unit the units that I took previous actions with are now refreshing, meaning you can always go back to those guys. They're never going to be sitting there waiting for a while. The other 10 units you have on your side take their actions, do their stuff before they can act again. And like I said, that, that touches more on the realism of how real combat goes. And the, the second part is that when I'm playing either single or with a partner, we're contr- we're both controlling more than one character Meaning if one of your characters is in maybe not as interesting a situation, odds are one of your other characters are in the middle of the action. So you're always doing something fun in the game. Unlike in a game where you're controlling a single character and the other people you're playing with might be stealing the show. And you're just sitting there twiddling your thumbs because they're hacking and slashing everything before you can.
0: Right. And when that one character who's not in the action has to do that boring thing where he just moves up to the action, he's, he's replenishing the the resources, the shields and the, the stamina or whatever of the character who is in the action.
1: And, and so, you're uh, right, and it keeps the focus on the action because you're doing it in re- regards to the action focus.
0: Right. Now, now before we get into uh, more of the design stuff, because I have a few more questions there, I do want to talk about the process of – you you guys getting an agents of mayhem license to do a game uh agents of mayhem is a game that i adore but i'm in a way i'm kind of uh, not alone on that but but critically it wasn't super well received uh i however am elated that you guys are using this license to make a board game uh tell me what kinds of reactions you've got from your fan base the, the folks who play conflict of heroes in uh, 1775, a rebellion in Fief. Uh, what sorts of reactions have you been getting from your normal fans?
1: We've been getting very good reactions because they all know that every one of our games has been a big hit, and they know that we put a lot of thought and years of work into it. And what makes this game so really cool? It is like a time stories without the constraints. We're just playing. You're playing in a campaign in a world where you're developing and trying to develop your characters, your team, and get your objectives. And in this game, there are hundreds of different ways you can win. But everything you do has a radiant effect and ripples forward. So our internal team players at conventions and a lot of our fans, we're getting tremendous support because they know from our other games how good our storyline games are and what they've play tested. Now, mm-hmm. unfortunately the people who are like the agents of mayhem people, they, a lot of them are the, the central people are a little disappointed with agents of mayhem here and there and trying to convince them that this game really goes into the depth. It, what we're doing is we're filling in all the storylines that may not be in the computer, in the video game. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden a golem comes up, there's a golem, but we go the history and, and, that legion people have to develop and get the components and make this golem possible. So it's a whole storyline behind it. And the scientists you're trying to get into it, get on your side, who may be turning tides on you. Um, It is just such an intricate, beautiful storyline with hundreds and hundreds of different type of outcomes possible that no group will really have the same experience. Because a decision you make now, you capture a, let's say, a doctor. Do you kill him? Do you ransom him? Do you try to convert him to your side? Well, these have ripple effects, but then things you do in the future totally change these ripples. And that's what makes this game so unique. And that's something that we really cannot bring across to people because it is such a new, really, system.
0: Sure, sure. Uh, Now, uh, in dealing with these things that you say aren't in the PC game, obviously this is something that you were working with Volition in some capacity. Uh, What is it like – because I presume previously you guys have just done whatever you want with your games. Uh, Now you're using someone else's license, uh, their universe – What is it like dealing with volition? And can you give me some examples of some back and forth you might have had with them where maybe you've wanted to do something one way or they've suggested another way or vice versa?
1: Well, first of all, I'm going to say with our other games, we are not allowed to do whatever we want. Because (laughs) we make historical games, we have to do a ton of research and we have to stay true to the history. I mean, it's it, it, military history fanatics. They get really, really specific about being accuracy. And then we also touch on some really emotional, very important subjects, like with our Freedom the Underground Railroad game, where you're playing as abolitionists trying to sure. end slavery. We we can't do whatever we want there. We we have to be true to history. And we took the same mentality to the Volition's Agents of Mayhem story and theme, thinking. This is not just a. we're not going to treat this as a fictional video game. We're going to treat this as a history that we have to learn and represent accurately. And that in the beginning, because we've been working on this game two years before the video game came out, Mm -hmm. a lot of it was working with them, just learning about their universe that there was no public knowledge about to begin with. (laughs) And that was a lot of, in the beginning, we we would come up with ideas because we really didn't know the history yet of like, oh, we could say there's a mob boss and the police are corrupt. We wanted you to be able to um, bribe the police to be on your side. Well, there are no police there. All the police have been replaced by robots. And it's that kind of historical education that was for the first year was the what we had to work out that relationship with volition and with and i have to say this is uva uh working with volition was phenomenal the Mm -hmm. team in america wonderful to work with um they were very supportive very open ideas we had they're like wow what a super cool idea let's do that now Mm -hmm. we were given boundaries here and there certain things we couldn't touch on you know we 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 can't throw school buses around and, you know, very light parameters that we knew we couldn't tread on. But everything else was open and they were it really we have had only positive experiences working with them. And, and they were really good about letting us make the board game how we know to make board games. They never came to us and said, OK, the way you make this board game, we don't like it. We want you to do this instead they they really have put a lot of trust in us to do what we know how to do. It, it'd be like us going to Volition and saying, you, know, you guys have been making your video games wrong. You need to change this about your video game.
0: Right.
1: And yeah. you, we wouldn't do that because we really don't know what it takes to make a video game. And they, they kind of saw the same way, vice versa, which is why they didn't go ahead and make a board game themselves. They came to us to do it. And what, what's um, very... Interesting, Tom, is um, working. when we were working on the agreement, getting them to realize that there is really a game engine to a board game is almost more difficult to design than the game engine for a video game. And many people go, no way. But it is, because for a board game, we do not have the visual stimulation, the sound stimulation, the motion stimulation. Or the background processing. Right. So we need to get that dopamine factor, that rush that you get. We have to develop that through that dopamine cycle of decision, anticipation, resolution. And that's really what we have um, specialized and perfected with our other games, even our underground railroad games where we you're doing making decisions quick but then we have a big sine wave through the whole game where the whole group it's designed to be up and elated and then when you get to the 1830s it crashes like it did it historically and the whole group gets depressed working together so we've really really defined and and specialized the system of trying to work on the emotions of players for board game mm-hmm. and that's what was probably at first the hardest to get them to understand that the board game engine is a true engine that can be either bad or very good. And once they got that, boom, it was like a marriage made in heaven. And the other thing about how the engine, how they're difficult to design is, in a video game, you have the user interface, and a lot of goes on in video game players don't actually know is happening. But in a board game, the players have to run the entire engine and the entire user interface. So you have to make it so intuitive and streamlined that it's not a barrier to what is fun about the game.
0: And yeah. I, so I, one of the, the the core values of the video game, uh, and I'm impressed so far with how I see you're expressing it in this board game. And I'd like to hear a little bit more about this. Uh, one of the core gameplay values in the video game is this idea of having a unique character. ...that you then uniquely develop. That whole cycle that you guys are talking about of earning rewards, that sort of dopamine feed... uh, ...in the video game comes from getting a new gadget for a character... ...or buying a new upgrade for that character... ...or spending Mm -hmm. one of those dark matter crystals to give the character uh, a new ability. Um, It looks like for each of the characters that you guys are including with Agents of Mayhem... ...for the Mayhem agents, uh, there are six gadget cards... Three what are called mayhem cards, and then eight upgrade tiles. Mm-hmm. That that is part of that. That is the sort of the standard uh, loadout option for each character, and they're further differentiated by things like whether or not they have armor, or how much shielding they have, or their hit points, uh, or whatever their main or, or ancillary actions are. So, tell me a little bit about how. Uh, You're you're using these gadget cards and mayhem cards and upgrade tiles to inform this idea that Agents of Mayhem is about developing characters.
1: So first of all, I want to say when we started developing this game, the idea is that we would have a one-to-one representation of everything in the video game Mm -hmm. in the board game. And then we went that's a little
0: it, that's a little crazy. I mean, I admire that, but there's so much crazy stuff in the video game and, <laughs> that seems yeah, daunting.
1: It, it was. And then what we did is we pared down some elements that were like this does not translate into something fun in the board game. Mm-hmm. And th- we 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 took those parts out. But by making sure we had a one run representation is that anything in the video game we can re- represent in the board game in terms of what characters' abilities are and what they can do and how they can upgrade. one of the, I want to give a quick example of one of the things we paired out was the idea of scrap. And originally, our first prototype, you would actually collect scrap and use this to construct and unlock new gadgets mm-hmm. that you could use and attach to your characters. We got rid of that scrap collecting, and we streamlined it, saying, after every mission, you will get so many dark matter, matter crystal upgrade cubes mm-hmm. and between your missions you can spend these to acquire new gadgets or to purchase new upgrades and so we basically combined the two separate upgrade resources and agents of mayhem scrap and dark matter crystals into one since for the board game we really didn't need to because it meant twice as many pieces and there was no real differentiation for the board game purposes. But in the beginning, when you first start playing the game, you only have three gadgets available to your agents, Mm -hmm. and they have no upgrades attached to them. And so when you're playing each mission, you're attaching your gadgets to your characters, and you only have three to use. But after each mission, from your supply of undiscovered gadgets, you'll draw a new one, and all of a sudden you have a new gadget to play around with. Or you might spend one of your Dark Matter upgrade cubes to take one of the upgrades, and they're the same upgrades in the video game, and attach them to your character to specialize them. Yeah, I want to I make one comment, because Gunter did an incredible job. Every every character in this game is so different. Oni, with his abilities, and his his silenced gun, and his stealth, and... and um, against Hollywood or hard tech, they all feel so different. They play different. You combine their actions together to get different effects. Mm-hmm. We're, every time we play, because there's so much variability and so much creativity that people can do, we're finding new things happening all the time. And we're like, we never thought of that. Well, here's a great example of something you can do in the video game that you can also do in the board game. In the video game, you can use hard teleharpoon to teleport somebody to you. And if you're at the edge of a drop, when they teleport to you, they will drop. And that's exactly how it happens in the board game. Mm-hmm. Is If you're at the edge of a building, you can harpoon somebody in front of you, they'll teleport up to you, and then they'll fall and take fall damage. Oh, and that ticks off some Legion players. I tell you what, it really does. <laughs> oh, it ticks off mainly Uva. Every time I do it, he says ah, uh, how am I supposed to, uh, why, why do you keep doing that to me? I'm like, because it's funny. Yeah, well, yeah, I get my revenge, though. But another really cool thing, and something that we haven't really told the audience, is that the player character boards are three-dimensional. And these three-dimensional character boards... It's double-layered. Double-layered. Well, double layers, is three-dimensional. I know, it's... All right. <laughs> 3D, oh, 3D. Anyway... I'm thinking 3D buildings, you know, that just are like a foot and a half to two feet high and all. But the character boards also hold all these gadgets as you're building up and your, your, your upgrades and everything. So as you're playing, it's, it all fits really tight together and the eye can just follow everything so easily. Because even the combat is so unique, And if we get into that in a little while, the combat in this game, not only that we're using real tactics with height advantage, flanking, and combined actions, but the system itself is so cool that maybe Gunta can go over that in a little while.
0: Uh, So the the gadgets and the upgrades uh, develop between missions. So Mm -hmm. the the structure of this game is that you play a mission each – team each side upgrades their characters you then play another mission and then you upgrade and then you play another mission um the upgrades and gadgets are strictly between missions
1: yeah yeah while you're playing the game we don't want to pause the action to say okay i'm going to spend my resources ah, to upgrade because sure. those upgrades stay attached to your characters it's kind of like a legacy game where right. you're permanently upgrading your characters but unlike legacy games the entire game you can reset back to state zero and play from scratch. Um, the other thing I wanted to correct you on, you can, every single character is upgradable. Even the, the troopers have upgrades that you can improve them. So a, for example, a hell trooper, they have a basic attack. You can give them a upgrade, that all of a sudden they, their attacks start inflicting vulnerable. Or the golem, if you want to make the golem better, and just destroying buildings left and right. You concentrate on that aspect instead of others. Yeah, for example, the golem has an upgrade that lets him heal every time he deals damage to ability building. Mm-hmm. So again, <laughs> it makes him a very... It, as it, the, the other exciting thing that you you might not see in a Kickstarter yet is we start out by... It takes a lot of time to balance each of these gadgets and each of these upgrades. So we've started out where you have Eight gadgets or eight eight upgrades and six gadgets per character. Right. And every character can have up to eight gadgets attached to them. Now we hope during the campaign, and I expect we will, that we'll be unlocking even more upgrades and gadgets for each character. That means that you'll be able to customize your character in even more unique ways. And also, uh, these are like ahead. rare resources. It isn't like every character just gets to upgrade all the time. You have to really plan, say Because you never have enough. Which character am I going to upgrade? I really want to do this. But if I use my resource to upgrade him, I can't upgrade this other character the way I want. You're only going to get one to two between each mission. So it is, it isn't like every character gets to upgrade. No, you only get so many resources and then you have to, that agonizing, oh, what am I going to make better? I want to do this with Hollywood, but Sheherazad needs this. And so that tension is constantly there. Mm -hmm.
0: Now, before we talk about the campaign play, because I have some questions there, uh, real quick, currently, who are the included agents? Uh, because I know people who play the video game, they have their favorites. Uh, I am, by the way, astonished that Scheherazade was a, was a stretch goal. How could you not have her in the core game? If you had released the game without Scheherazade, I would have had my arms firmly crossed a- across my chest, and I would have been harrumphing. Um, so – <laughs> what are the what's the current character roster as it is now and given the stretch goals that you have met?
1: Uh, currently in the base game so Ag- in Agents of May and Pride of Babylon it starts out with Hollywood, hard tech and Fortune. Just mm-hmm. like in the video game those are the three you start out with. Mm-hmm. And then on the side of Legion you start out with the the uh, Dr. Babylon and the Golem and then the Troopers. Okay. We have unlocked in stretch goals the Firing Squad, which includes Kingpin, Shahirazad, and Oni. And so, and then you can also, as an add-on, include Johnny Gat. Mm-hmm. And then on the side of Legion, we have also, um, from the, the start of the campaign, as a bonus, we've included uh, Gaunt as an alternative bad guy boss to play with as an alternative to uh, Dr. Babylon. So those are the current roster of characters that we have unlocked at this time and the people the people on kickstarter will get the firing squad for free they'll be boxed separately Mm -hmm. with all their huge character boards all their gadgets their events everything i mean it's it's a pretty big hefty uh expansion box they'll get that free but that'll be very limited we Mm -hmm. we're only going to print so many and they're not going to be open for open distribution same with gaunt so we, the god has tons of stuff in it also with civilians and all kinds of cool stuff that we hope will – and we think we will hit those. They're coming up pretty soon to unlock, which just adds so much to the game.
0: Uh, so do you have uh, people saying things like, uh, where, where's Rama? Where's Daisy? Daisy. Uh, yeah, Daisy.
1: Daisy <laughs> the, is the one that we hear most often.
0: Oh, really? Like, Daisy is? Interesting.
1: Right, I hear often. Oh, is Bombshell next? We need to have Daisy. Uh, Daisy's <laughs> part of for For those that aren't familiar, Daisy's part of the bombs, uh, Bombshell squad of agents. Yeah, everybody loves Daisy. And, uh, yeah, they, they, that is the biggest. We knew people would want to have Shirazad. She was a, po- a very popular one. And then Daisy is the next probably most popular one we hear in comments and on our social media.
0: Now, uh, real quick, before we do talk about the campaign play, uh, I'm assuming you guys are, are board gamers, and uh, are, well, are you guys video gamers?
1: I am. Uva, Uva, he's a little bit before the the glory days of video games. Mm-hmm. Well, I made my but I made my money in the in the internet gambling, and I see what people do with their addiction online and paying me money to do it. <laughs> so it kind of I got out of that part. Sure. I well, love. Then- money. I'm, I'm right now really into uh, – well, I won't get into what I'm playing online right
0: now. But I'm, I'm a uh, – Gunter, sen- come on. Um, what, what you got – how can you do <laughs> – Skyrim. Skyrim. Skyrim, uh, sure, sure. Right. I, That'll drink I, I, up some hours, Gunter. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm a fanatic.
1: I just introduced – I finally just got him to play it this year. So he's a little bit behind time. He was still playing um, Boulder's Gate.
0: Wait, Gate! Wait, that was Uva who was saying he's got into Skyrim. Yeah,
1: okay. he just got into Skyrim. It took me years. I kept saying, you love Baldur's Gate. Just play Skyrim. You're going to love it. And I finally got him to start playing it this year. <sighs> Listen, I played Monkey Island and um, Leisure Suit Larry. <laughs> Come on, those were my games.
0: That is some old-school cred, I do have to say. So tell me about then your experience. So a couple of years, you know, while Agents of Mayhem is in development, you make this deal with Volition. Presumably they're sending you builds or they're showing you the game as it is being developed. Uh, Tell me about your experience, like, seeing Agents of Mayhem, playing Agents of Mayhem, discovering what Volition is doing through their actual game. Well,
1: you know, it's, it's... it's an amazing feat getting these games out. I, I don't think video gamers always, because of the pure number of video games that come out, appreciate the number, amount of effort and man hours and blood and sweat and tears that goes into making these games. And that was the most amazing thing for me, uh, educational thing for me to see. That's going to speaking, yeah. And, uh, they, it was, and, and how much it's amazing that core vision that they had that you when what you play in the final release yeah certain specifics change here and there characters get tweaked and replaced and, and that kind of stuff but their core vision was planned out from the when i got involved and it, it's really just amazing to see how much preparedness it takes that it's not just something that can happen overnight right sure and uh, that I'm still I, I could not imagine the working with the number of people because it's it's hundred it's dozens of programmers working together and thinking and, and for those of that, of your uh, listeners that do programming, I mean coding is is a very personal thing. And when you have to coordinate just with one other programmer that can lead to problems. But when you're having to coordinate with dozens and over a hundred, that that can be a, a, a fiend in itself.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm amazed that any video game ever gets made. Like it just just the, <laughs> the things that have to come together for a game to be good uh are even more amazing to me. Right. Yeah,
1: and if anybody a has a chance to go visit uh, Volition in Champaign, Illinois, I mm-hmm. uh, highly recommend. I'm I'm sure they give tours. I would think they give tours, maybe not. Uh, oh, maybe no. maybe I'm opening the gates here and they're gonna call me tomorrow and say, <laughs> UVA, why'd you say that? But phenomenal. I I would highly recommend it. It's it's just such a professional team. I was impressed being we're both engineers uh, come from very structured backgrounds, you know, being German on top of that. So um, it's what they did and accomplish. It's incredible. And, you know, some people want to have multiplayer and all that. But, you know, it's so hard to figure out what people want and what's going to happen, work well. But what they did is still, I highly recommend people try to play. Because it, it's phenomenal. It was a new venture from, I mean, I have to give them a lot of credit for, uh, and of course they, they have, have, they, there's always the future Saints Rose, but that they didn't just keep doing the same thing over and over again. Mm. They're, they're trying some new stuff, new formulas. And, and that's what I, I, I always want to see that. If uh, companies never did that, If they kept coming out with Elder Scrolls, you would never have seen a Fallout game. And uh, I'm sure uh, people are glad when companies experiment and try new stuff. And I hope they continue this universe because we're really, even working with them, these guys are going, wow, this is a great idea and everything. And hopefully with the success of the board game series and the development of the history and everything that they're allowing us to do, hopefully that keeps the interest going and and continues this universe because it's a phenomenal universe. Yeah the the, the characters are they the characters are hilarious the storylines that they have set up are get sometimes in such a a lighthearted theme are get quite serious and personal as, as you move forward and uh i i really hope to see how it continues and especially we're, with board game where we're really pushing the campaign to new Limits And and really, our campaign series, which we'll talk about in a little while, is so much more in-depth and intricate than I think any board game out there yet. And it's putting a real push even for the video game because we're just putting such a depth and such a variability to where the storyline goes. As I said, I'll be surprised if in the tens of thousands of these games that we're going to be selling that any group will ever have the same experience going through.
0: Uh, were there any elements of the design that you guys hit on specifically from playing the video game? What yeah. do you mean by that? Uh, was there any time where you're looking at a build or playing a build and something in the video game happened that you thought, oh, I can add that to the game design in a certain way, or, oh, I now want to uh, create this element in the game design.
1: You know what? Okay. Yes. A, one of the things is when I'm fighting and it, I still think it's so cool every time it happens. and it, It's such a minor thing, is how the Legion just drop down from the sky with their rocket boots. Mm-hmm. So I'm fighting, I'm fighting some Legion guys. I go through that wave, and, and instead of just spawning indoors, they just have this really cool entrance where they kind of fall from the sky and soldier ascent with the rocket boots. That, that was one kind of feel I wanted to give to the video game, that you had these guys dropping down from the sky. And uh, that, that's, we made sure to include that in the game where you're playing, you have Legion units on the board. But while the game's going on, periodically the Legion player will be able to drop units um, into the board. The other one was the uh, Doomsday devices. There's all these really cool Doomsday devices that you have to figure out how to deal with. And how they affect, they kind they of change how the city works. If you have a, a fracking doomsday device, it's creating these wells of explosion from the ground that you have to dodge. Or when you have the iceberg machine, I, these chunks of ice are raining down from the sky that will, will slow you down and uh, freeze you. Um, We we not only include our plan on including those in the board game, but we've also come up with a lot of our own creative uh, doomsday devices that uh, we we hope to feature.
0: Now, you're touching on something that, uh, again, this was one of my first reactions to this. uh, cynically, one of my first reactions was, "Okay, this is going to be just like Descent or just like Gloomhaven." Uh, and your little fa- the phasing system that you guys have created that disabused me of that notion. Here's another thing that I'm concerned about, and you're, you're hinting at some some of the possible solutions here. But I need you to convince me why would I ever want to play as the Legion side? When it looks like Agents of Mayhem gets all the fun characters and all the fun upgrades. Uh, now this, what are you this doing? Yeah, go ahead. Go I, ahead, Uva. I, What I, are you doing I, to make the bad guys interesting and playable and not oh I'm just moving around a bunch of disposable troops?
1: But okay, this is Uva. I'm a Legion guy because awesome Star Wars. I hate these rabble rousing rebels just <laughs> ruining commerce. I mean the Empire's doing a good thing here. So there is a lot of fun, a lot of fun with the Legion, what you can do, because you're getting whole teams of, of troopers. So I, I can do different effects in Swarming, and I'm having a lot of fun. And I'm also developing then. And then I'm getting Johnny Gat. And for me... He's not in the Legion. I'm, I'm the it. Gaunt. I mean, Gaunt. He's talking about Gaunt. Gaunt. And with Gaunt and the whole storylines, for me, it's developing, because realize, in the campaign and storyline, each side... Is trying to win or lose, and there's so many cool stories going on. And I want I want to touch on it too. God why Legion. why legions uh, uh, fun for the same reason and also different reasons is that Uva's right they play a little asymmetrical. Because Legion usually has one or two boss characters, and then there's squads of troopers. So they're not just controlling three figures on the board. They'll have 10 to 20 figures on the board at once, which gives them a very different feel. And the other thing, during the campaign storyline, one of the fun things about Legion is that you get to custom build your own Doomsday devices. We have this yeah. cool modular Doomsday device system that you, as you play through the story campaign, mission to mission, you're not just acquiring new gadgets and new upgrades for your different uh, Legion units and uh, bosses, but you're also acquiring parts of Doomsday machines that you can combine for different effects. Whether it's a satellite that shoots a uh, time slowing beam from space or a little, uh, energy conductor that transfers the energy of your movement and makes enemies around you have to dance Uh, you can do really kind of fun combination and be creative and uh, that, that is one of the things I'm most excited about playing as Legion as compared to the Agents. Go, Dr.
0: Babylon! <laughs> uh, is the idea then that, that Legion is uniquely able to sort of affect the environment, to create these global conditions uh, that Agents of Mayhem doesn't have that option?
1: Yeah, the, the, much more so. The Agents of Mayhem, they affect the global environment more through how they are foiling Legion's schemes. And they, they, they do create their, they can have their long term effects on the game, but it's Legion who, in, in the video game, a large part of the video game is the Age of Mayhem being reactionary to Legion's plans. Mm-hmm. Legion is rarely saying, okay, we're doing this because of what Mayhem's doing. It's Mayhem reacting to whatever that particular chapter's boss's schemes are. And that, that kind of feeling does come across where if you want to feel like, you are dictating what the current disaster is. You want to play as a legion. And, and our engagements are so different than the others. I mean, our objectives and events that you're trying to do are so much more in-depth. It's not just you just have to kill this target or get this objective. It, it is so much deeper. For example, tell me about um, a Trooper Stan's birthday. Oh, one one of our first uh, missions, after you play the tutorial, the tutorial ends with you playing your first mission. And it's where the Agents of Mayhem, they've discovered a secret Legion base. It's pretty early on in the storyline of Agents of Mayhem. So they're just discovering of how ingrained Legion's Ministry of Pride is in Seoul. They discover this base, and they want to destroy it. So they find these... You find these... um. Um, external surface terminals that you can hack into and Mm -hmm. you initiate the base's self-destruct. Not knowing, and from the Legion's perspective, because each player has their own mission book that tells the mission story from their perspective, the whole Legion base is celebrating Stan's retirement party. This old Legion Hell Trooper who is, after years of service, he's finally retiring and uh, all of a sudden... Yeah, all of a sudden they're all standing there with their little party hats and their pieces of cake, and the alarm just starts going off. They self destruct in 30 seconds. So and, Stan's got to get his birthday cake out of there. Yeah, he, he, he just he needs friend. to get he needs to get out of there. You have you have one year leading troopers representing Stan. He just needs to get off the board to be able to retire. While the rest of troopers, Doctor Babylon's like, you, what are you guys doing? staying around here. What are you having party? Why wasn't I invited? Stop them from blowing up the base. So the agents have to defend these consoles as Legion units swarm up from the underground base and they're trying to stop the self-destruct all with this humorous, oh, they interrupted a kind of office party kind of scene. So almost every mission, each side is trying to, has different goals. So one side may be trying to stop the destruction, whereas the other side's trying to break in to get at something where again the other side then has other side objectives on top of this each player on a side may have even a sub objective that the other player doesn't know about so it like is for example maybe hollywood shooting a promotional video for mayhem so it's just not how you uh, how many troopers do you kill but how you kill a trooper that's important and that adds a, a nice layer of ult- alternative strategies to the game. Now, you notice how this whole conversation going. Here, the nice troopers are having a nice party in a nice building, and this rabble comes in, wants to kill and destroy stuff. Now, who's really the bad guy?
0: <laughs> now, what you guys are describing, and I'm a little uh, – uh, I'm not sure how this works. Maybe you can explain to me. Is this scenario-based or – does it – did these story bits uh, occur emergently? Like I know yes. you have something where you put an objective down, and then when a character walks into the room, you flip the objective, and something gets read out of a book. Uh, is, is this stuff happening emergently, or is each scenario – is each mission a scripted scenario?
1: This is one of the genius parts of this game that we pulled from our military context. So go ahead, into go Genius. So, so first of all, we actually have both. There are a set of missions that we design specifically. So they're well balanced. They're designed to be, if you just want to play one night with your friends, you're introducing a new player to the game, you play one of these design missions. Mm-hmm. And they vary from in length and complexity and what kind of feel of game they are. So those are designed to really show you what you can do with the game. We design these to show you all the different kinds of missions you can have, what kind of objectives there are, the different fields each one can have. Then on top of that, we then have this procedurally generator campaign you can play, where you will have a hand of campaign cards that you will go back and forth playing with your opponent that develops a mission. And where you have maybe eight cards in your hand, but you only can play five of them. So you have to decide, I play a card and I have a plan of how these cards are going to connect to the other cards to build the best situation that I can win. But all of a sudden my opponent plays a card that completely makes me reevaluate the the game and what I'm going to do with my cards. So you go back and forth playing these campaign cards to build a campaign mission. You then play that campaign mission. And depending on how who achieves which objectives in that campaign, you'll be instructed to draw new campaign cards from the supply of campaign cards that come with the game. So what cards you have to, in your hand to build future missions with is dependent on your actions and choices in the mission you design. So you'll be playing mission after procedurally generated mission and after procedurally generated mission that are all linked by a continuous story. So yeah, until you reach a victory condition. If I can clarify a little, each card you can do different things with it. Gives you different options to do stuff. So it may give you a new objective or a new event or more units. Or a special rule, rule. Or a special rule. And these cards that you have in your hand, you may have special cards that you planted in there from future missions. And these objective cards are all tied together and they drive the storyline, but the storyline can go in hundreds of different directions, depending how these different objectives integrate with each other and how the keys unlock different events. For, for, I'll, I'll give you an example. Let's say I played an objective card in mission that says, if I hacked into this computer terminal, I, I need to hack into his computer terminal to get some victory points. So you to place win the a computer terminal on the board yep. where you want it. Yep. Mm-hmm. And if it says on that card, you get three VP towards winning this mission if you hack the terminal. Now, whoever gets the most VP in the mission wins the mission and they will have some advantages in developing the next mission. But if I achieve that mission at the bottom of the card it says, if you achieved, draw campaign card fifty three. So, but if I failed it, it'll say draw campaign card 31. Depending if I succeeded at it or failed it, it will lead down two different story paths. And then those are represented by two different cards, which would lead onto, onto more different story paths. So you can see if I'm, we're playing three to four cards in each mission, how quickly the story can branch into thousands of different possibilities. And what's even cooler, is that sometimes you will acquire keys based off what you do in a mission. And these keys will say, if this card is played when you have this key in your hand, you would throw away that key to activate a side effect on that card. So all of a sudden, maybe I had a key for this computer terminal card. That all of a sudden, it's not just a computer terminal. It is a computer terminal to this giant robot. So that if I hack into it, I get to activate this giant robot that starts destroying bill- buildings. But the slot key. Only if I had that key when we played right. that part. Right. And that same key can unlock other things in different branches. So you may have that key, have used it, that activated and started a whole different storyline. And then you come to this terminal later on. Guess what? You no longer have it, so that robot never activated. The, this this key could represent, for example, we call them keys generically, but each key is theme, has a different like kind of theme. Mm-hmm. So it could be the key could be a special Legion control chip that you can use once for various different things. So in this case, you're using it to activate a special hack protocol in this computer terminal. But it could have another effect in another card's mission objective that would have a completely different effect so you never can really each time you play through things will happen a little bit differently and that's what will keep the replayability and fun having over and over and over again it's really hard to explain because there's never been anything like this in a board game and so it's just it's so hard to convey until people actually get into the hands and start playing through it
0: Actually, I, I think uh, people who play, for instance, Gloomhaven or Charterstone or Pandemic Legacy, like there are a lot of legacy games that do something similar, but you guys are doing this where you can reset to zero rather mm-hmm. than it only is good for one playthrough. So I think this whole <laughs> idea, because when we play, uh, we just played a game called Charterstone that is full of this idea of you pull this card, and it then tells you to go take that card. Or you make this choice, and if you choose A, choose card 31. If you choose B, choose card 52. Uh, Like I I love this idea, and I I think uh, some players will have a a frame of reference for this and will understand what you guys are trying to do. Um, Let let me ask you this real quick. At this point, how many campaign cards do you have in the deck? We have um, a, a little over 150. Okay. And, and is there is there asymmetry in campaign – like, are there certain campaign things that only Mayhem gets or that only Legion gets? I imagine you could play a lot with the asymmetry between the two sides within the campaign cards, right?
1: Yes, exactly. Every time you draw a card, it'll say, give this to the Legion player or give this to the Mayhem Oh, leader. okay. Right, so, right. So it, 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 it kind of shows how it – who gets to make the choices – with that part of the storyline or who it directly affects. And you, but you don't know who's going to get that card when you play that objective that leads to those cards. Right, right. Now, uh, you, go ahead, sorry. As you um, get events and objectives and you pull these cards and you see some of these benefits or a uh, different type of um, future events that could happen, you can even, with some of the cards, plant them in future areas and scenarios that you know what's going to be happening there. So, for example, yeah. one of my favorites, uh, early storyline, we're going to be putting this on Board Game Geek as uh, the Geek uh, contest. We're actually making a little story, like a storybook. I, I, I thing. Choose your own adventure. Choose your own adventure. Contest. But mm-hmm. to give people the idea of this, so um, uh, Franz, Hans and Franz Wunder, they're twins, and Franz is a female, of course, because dad just won Hans and Franz. <laughs> and she... Is captured and her brother just wants her freed so he goes to the mayhem says we have to free her so there's a battle they find the capture and she's a genius behind this team and very jealous of her brother but the other doesn't know it now what do you do do you kill her do you ransom her do you save her trying to convert her to your side well if you save her or if you kill her why would you want to kill He, he forgot to add because she wasn't captured But recruited by Legion. Right. So she was recruited by Legion. But if you kill her now, then her uncle, the mob boss, may just turn on you in the future sometime. But if you don't kill her, what other evil things can she do in the future? Or can you convert her? But if you don't kill her also, what? The one player doesn't know is that she hates her brother, and he, she may then kill her brother, which will have all these different ramifications. So every decision you make branches, branches again, and then, depending on other decisions, throws everything out and makes the branch go in another direction. And that's a little bit different well, than a lot of these other games. The, the big thing like compared to some of the other games you mentioned is a lot of their storylines are they'll, they'll be linear trees that there's only one path each particular storyline can take. Um, the key that I mentioned before really throw a wrench in that, where all of a sudden things that would normally be linear are no longer linear. And, and that's the, the, the key thing that's, that's hard to convey and that we're, we're really excited about. The start getting people hands-on, get their feedback, because I think people will really be excited by this.
0: Right. Uh, so uh, this whole idea of uh, the difference between a scenario and then the overall campaign, uh, what determines how long a campaign lasts in terms of scenarios? What is my overall objective over the course of multiple scenarios? And is this something that is supposed to take place over multiple gameplay sessions?
1: Well Yeah. So uh, each, each uh, gameplay, each mission will take anywhere from about half an hour to up to two hours for the largest missions. Mm-hmm. And what determines how long a mission is is largely how many campaign cards you're going to decide where you're going to play with that in that particular mission. So if you're playing more campaign, more cards to develop a mission, it's going to be a more complex and depth mission, and it's going to be slightly longer. If you want to play a quick session, you can play fewer to have a really quick skirmish. But each one of those either can be played as a game session, there you play, then you put things back into the box. Everything it will be stored where it can be taken out, and your save point will be there, so you can play this over multiple play sessions. Or we're designing the campaign so you can play the whole campaign over a, a, a good Saturday, where you start playing with your friends in the morning, and by dinner you'll have played through this really inter- interesting storyline that you're probably want to go play again the next weekend. So it's eight to ten, usually eight to ten engagements.
0: And and what determines how many engagements and what am I trying to do? Is it a matter of like best uh, three out of five or or, uh, what determines my overall objective?
1: Eventually, you're trying to achieve campaign VP. Just like in each mission, you're going for VP in the mission. Mm -hmm. There are certain things that can lead to campaign VP. Now, in the beginning of the campaign, you're kind of getting – you have a primary goal that, you know, I need to do this in order to get victory points. But those are that's usually not enough victory points to win the campaign because you need a total of four to win the game. But as you're playing, side stories and whole new stories start up, which then can terminate in one of the players also gain VPs. Or you can some of them even take VPs away from the other player. Oh so you're you're trying to it's really about trying to guide the story to your most favorable ending. And you're, you're trying to guide enough of the story. So it's not just one story. Because you might be losing on one storyline, just like where you have multiple characters. And you might have one character who's just having a really bad game. Well, it's not gonna wor- ruin your game experience because you have two other characters that might be doing awesome. Same way in the campaign. You're competing and fighting over three to four, sometimes five storylines at once. And you might be having a really bad time in one storyline, but the others are going quite well for you. So I, as a legion, may be trying to get my laser going, but I'm getting hindered from getting my laser. But at the same time now, I've built up my— successfully recruited a bunch of scientists to build up my research capabilities. So they're all different stories. And what's even cooler then is if you're adding an expansion like the Gaunt expansion, guess what? That whole campaign, the storylines from the Gaunt expansion get added to the game you're playing. And we're going to be coming out with more and more expansions in the coming year with whole new storylines that you can add into your yeah. campaign that give it all new branches, ways to win, to get victory. Just, just like how the characters are modular, you can use Shirazad with hard pack and fortune. And you can decide how, what combination of gadgets I want to use.
0: Is the the idea always three Mayhem agents versus one Legion boss? No,
1: you can actually have two in, in, in the board game. You can have two Legion bosses on the board at the same time. You can be fighting Gaunt and Dr. Babylon and the Golem all at the same time, or you could just be fighting one boss and a
0: bunch of troopers. And these but, are things that are determined by the campaign state, I presume. Yeah,
1: it, it's or how you play your cards you during your the cards. setup of the mission. Right. Okay. And what cards you have available to you is dependent on what your choices and achievements and failures were in the past missions. So you're, uh, you're, you're, you're planting and seeding your hands before future things are happening.
0: Right. Uh, where are you getting all of the artwork? For these cards
1: well for for the cards we're using a lot of screenshots from the video game mm-hmm. and so th- that that would just really speed up development because we have tons of cards and there's tons of great scenes in video games that we can use screenshots now we're um, using that as basis and then our artists yeah, yeah work they, off of those mm-hmm. they sometimes touch them up and, and sharpen them or add different details more mm-hmm. than that but then we also have a lot of art that our artists are doing from uh, scratch too. about now, 80% is from scratch and 20% we're pulling in and, and over overlapping overlaying.
0: I'm sorry. Now, another, another element I would say of, of the graphics in a game like this, uh, is this your first time working with miniatures? And uh, if so, what kind of challenges are you running into there? Cause that uh, miniatures are of course a big part of Kickstarter campaigns. They, they, I think, add a lot of sort of uh, glamour to some of the Kickstarter campaigns. Uh, What's it like working with miniatures for this? We
1: we had a very, very successful campaign for Vikings, 878 Vikings, uh, that we made between the Kickstarter and the uh, Crowdox afterwards, almost a million dollars. We did all 32-millimeter Viking miniatures. Ah, okay. And if you go online, people say our miniatures, our Viking miniatures, are probably some of the most detailed miniatures out there. Now, we don't make these over the top crazy monsters with thousand heads sticking out and all that. <laughs> That's not our thing. But if you look at the miniatures and we we're going to post a few more, even just you look at um a kingpin and just the details of his pose, the pants how they fit, how his stances and the details of the chain around the neck, the, the hair, the eyes, the facial expressions, that's what we go for. Uh, we don't need all this crazy craziness. We have very high detail to bring the personalities across. So okay. we do have very good experience with it. Um, and we've been doing miniatures now for the last two games. Yeah. Okay. And, and we, we've never really run into any issues. And either of those games, so we don't expect to have any issues in this game either.
0: Uh, uh, you guys had a, the, the Kickstarter campaign was hugely successful. I believe you hit your goal on the first day, if I'm not mistaken, uh, and you pretty quickly blew through all of your stretch goals. Uh, and I think you've still got a couple of weeks to go, if I'm not at, at the time that we're recording. Uh, aren't you worried? You're, you're having to keeping you're, you're having to keep coming up with stretch goals. No. Isn't that no- a- is that a we, great problem to have?
1: <laughs> it, well, we're not coming up with new stretch goals. We actually have we have a lot of stretch goals planned, but we only post three at a time. Okay, three new ones. So if you notice, every time a new stretch goal gets unlocked, a new one gets posted right away. And so we 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 have it all pre-planned and structured about what we know. It, it's both of what would actually create meaningful additions to the game. We don't create stretch goals that are just something you'll actually – you'll never use. Well, oh, here's another figure. Yeah. You know, at, who cares? Every stretch goal actually adds meaningful content to the game, mm-hmm. and we're not going to run into a problem where, oh, we included more than that's uh, financially viable for a game at that price point to include. We, we, we are very careful where we know we can actually successfully deliver the product. With the stretch goals, and we have we've only achieved about half the stretch goals that we have planned. Okay. And now we're getting a lot of good ideas from the fans. Oh yeah! And we, so I'm really excited. They came up and said, "Hey, we need the cars." So guess what? Mongoose is coming out. We developed some really cool rules with it, where you can be driving that, crashing into the buildings, crashing into the your opponents, trying oh, to snipe it from further away, blowing it up. We we had the we had the the um. The vehicle drugs. planned, well, also the vehicles themselves. But what one fan came up with the brilliant idea. is like, are there going to be ramps? Can I drive a vehicle <laughs> off the ramp onto a roof to run over a sniper in a sniper's nest? And I thought, you know what? We didn't have that plan, But, you know, I think that's probably going to be a future stretch goal. So we're, we're not above getting good ideas from our fans. And we're and, adding them. And adding them on the fly but uh, m- the majority of our stretch goals you'll see were were pre-planned uh, uh, out. Very okay. planned out, yeah, because we don't believe in just more junk to make the same game repetitive with a different unit. Everything we add has to give you a new playing experience that shifts the game a degree or two.
0: Okay. Now, uh, uh, further down the line, uh, you guys have, uh, have offered – an AI deck using what you're calling the Athena AI system. So that this game can work as a co-op or a solitaire game. Uh, I know it's something that you want to put more time into. So you're not planning to offer this at the time that the game is out. Uh, Sell me on what you're doing here, because I think it's super easy for someone to just put together a bunch of random actions into a deck of cards, and then you flip over a card, and the AI kind of randomly does something. Uh, what, what sets apart your Athena AI uh, system with your decks of cards?
1: But Before I convince you, uh-huh. I can tell you there's plenty of reviewers that can convince you a lot better than I can because it's based on exi- one of our existing products, which is the the Bear solo system. So if you're really interested in solo, I urge your, your listeners to go check out some of those reviews because I don't think I've ever heard a non-raving review about this solo AI.
0: Now, awaken the bear is the first conflict of heroes title, correct. is that correct? Great, right? Correct. Okay.
1: You know when I when when we have um, guys with just blank cards from Washington D.C. coming up saying this is an incredible AI, we want more, and you just have like a phone number and a name. Um, you know it's a good system because the military likes it, and then the guys with the white cards like it. So it's it's a AI. If you want the technical, go to just go into the agent-based yeah. approach. Well, so so w- my background is in biomedical engineering and sciences. I specialize in statistical mechanics, which means in a chaotic system of your body, somehow we have order come out of it. There's intelligent decision making happening from these individual parts that are not really intelligent on their own. And so there's actually quite a bit of math and statistics that are understood in this process. And that's where we first took this very technical idea that's used for medicine and thought, wow, could we apply the same concepts to military tactics, where Battlefield you field environments. Where you have individual soldiers or squads of soldiers who do not know the grand picture strategy they're just reacting to the situation around them and the few prodded orders from their superiors Mm -hmm. Uh, very similar surprisingly of how the individual cells of your body work and it turned out to make a very realistic artificial intelligence that 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 modeled how military units actually function today. And uh, what, what's cool about this AI, yes, it runs off a deck of cards, but it's not that I draw a card and it just tells me some random unit does something random. Mm-hmm. It is, I draw a card and it says, look for a unit that is in this situation. It's a situational awareness. If a unit is in this situation, it's going to do this. If there is no unit in that situation that can do that, you move on to the next order Level which two. has a new situation and something you'll do if it's in that situation. For example, if a first say if you have a wounded unit, it will try to heal if it can. Maybe you have a wounded unit but for some reason it can't heal. So you go on the next order. Okay. The your strongest unit Select your strongest unit and attack the unit closest to your wounded unit. So you have another unit protecting your unit, wounded unit. Now
0: – yeah, go ahead. It sounds, it sounds like each card uh, – the GMT games has these, uh, this coin system, uh, mm-hmm. and their, their games come with an AI, which is a huge, elaborate flowchart. And it kind of sounds like each card is a miniature flowchart, uh, sort of a more manageable, quick flow chart for look at conditions for if-then options. Is, it, well, is that sort of start, correct?
1: What, no, it's a little different because a lot of these games, they define what units can do. We don't care. With our AI, you can play either side in almost any scenario. It's called agent-based. It's object-oriented um, AI. And what we're saying is is that – and we're actually – It's being now used by software companies because we've just totally changed. Instead of iterative, trying to get the best reaction out of every possible situation. It does not optimize always. It does not optimize. And that's important for a difficult opponent because a human opponent won't always do the best thing. They'll do one of the best options, but you don't know which of those best options they'll do. Right. So what we're doing is we're giving every unit, every object on the board has certain capabilities. Certain type of parameters. So those are just little packets, little lunch boxes that they're carrying around. Now, when a certain situational card comes up, it says, Those people with these abilities, we want them to do this in this situation if that's actually happening. If this situation isn't happening, then we're going to go to a level two order. And in almost every situation, even military training, everything, there's a three level order system that tries to take in every battlefield confrontational situation into effect so that you're kind of distilling it down to finally find the one thing that'll tick and only if it's a tick that makes sense will then the best reaction take place now what's very different for with our artificial intelligence system compared to a lot of We're others. Boring. We're too engineering. Yeah, yet. yeah, but sorry it, about that. <laughs> the, the, the key thing is that it doesn't take up, the user interface is not that complicated. You can quickly interpret a card and know what unit's going to act really quickly. It takes as long to do the AI turn as it does a player's turn. So it's kind of interesting that the, the player trying to figure out what the AI is going to do it's quicker than the player trying to figure out what they want to do. It drives people nuts because half the time the AI beats them, no matter which side it plays. And every time you play the game, the AI plays different, but it's doing it effectively. So one time it may be trying to um, flank you. The other time it is building a, a Schwerpunkt attack. A strong point. Yeah, a strong point attack. So it never has a hardline dictated proceduralism to it, but it will do what makes sense, depending on the base of the, the statistical um, highway we put it on. And and you mentioned a flow chart in some other games. On um, this system, it's not a flow chart. It's like when I say you you'd start at one order and go down to the next. There is no branching where you start okay. out with one order and then there's two possible orders that you have to choose between. It is just a quick sequence of if if this is applicable, you do that. If not, do this, that. Then you're done. And by the end, you're going to be doing the third order no matter what. But every card, what conditions and orders are on each card are statistically variable to make the AI Really unpredictable from the human standpoint, but it, but still very combat effective.
0: Is is Conflict of Heroes the only game that that has this that that includes this AI? Well,
1: yeah, currently that we sell to the to the public, yes. Yeah. Now the game has been licensed by the system has been licensed by other companies under various names, so it does it does appear in some other games. And we do right. have it in games that we don't, as I say, sell to the gaming public.
0: Right. Yeah, as a solitaire gamer, I'm, I'm now really curious about Conflict of Heroes, and I'm glad to hear that, uh, that you're not just throwing something quickly into the Agents of Mayhem board well, game.
1: The, thing, the reason why we can't ship the AI at the same time, it's not the development of the system. It's the time that it takes to really write the rules. Writing the rules and laying them out and going through the editing process, making sure you have blind readers and playtesters go through it to make sure all the, everything's clear to them. That takes most of the time of the development, and that 's what that extra three months that we need is going to be taking is writing the rules in a way that is is uh, the, the most streamlined and clear and tom you can you can edit all this out because we 're getting too deep in, in into the engineering, but what 's a very <laughs> cool part of this is we have two type of AI systems that we're layering one on top of the other. We have the agent-based object-oriented type of AI, and then we've got the statistical, the broader statistical AI below it. So I call it like a highway or river on top of which floats these boats. Now we can make that river, and what we used for the first um, agents of mayhem was standardized army protocol reactions. So it is a standardized, very grounded type of individual. Now we're coming out, though, with different decks of mentality. Mm-hmm. So you can have a very aggressive, aggressive type of mentality. So that's another highway, the, the mechanical statistical highway that we're placing our agent-based, object-oriented logic on top of. So we're now coming out with a Munchstein Type of AI. Then we're thinking that for was our, a German general, by the way. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm being everybody knows Munchstein. <laughs> on, sorry about that. Um, after after the uh, I won't get into it. But anyway, or a Patton. We're coming with a Patton AI okay. for the kind of strategies that Patton used. Correct. And now we are looking for our newest game, which is the um, when whales fight. Uh, when a uh, whales fight, which is the Korean War, which is based on our. Storms of... St- um, yeah. um, Fog of War. Fog of War are... Um, when Strike of the Strike of the Eagle. Eagle. Sorry about that. Strike of the Eagle game that's part of the Fog of War series, Right, clear. <laughs> and we're okay. working on that for the Korean War. Now, for their our AI, we're coming out with... Now, what leader... Not only are we doing 1950s, which has one type of AI, but now we're using an add-on we're going to be... And you're the first we're telling this to. Uh, we're adding a modern-day option to play Korean War with uh, Kim, with Trump, and the different mentalities and things going on. Why is this so important, our military, both uh, Army, Marine Corps, Air Force, what they're very intent on in different situational analysis for leadership decision-making? If I make a military decision that makes military sense, what are the political and social ramifications off of this? And that is very, very key. So that's another AI structure that we're building into this. So it's not just units and how they react, but how does the social political um, uh, structure around me change? From decisions I make, and in, in this we're using a lot in the Agents of Mayhem. Yeah. I, I want to I add, uh, how often do you talk about national security issues and
0: geoeconomic politics and on your uh, <laughs> podcast? <laughs> Certainly not in the context of Agents of Mayhem discussions. Yes. <laughs> well, that, so tell me thing. real quick, what, what is the name of the, this game that, that can replicate a modern Korean war conflict? Uh, it's the Fog of War series. Yes. What's the name of the game? The game
1: that's it's coming out. It's uh, we're hopefully by the end of this year will be uh, released. It's going to be when whales fight.
0: And whales like uh, thing, things that swim in the water.
1: Yes. It's an old Korean proverb that says when whales fight, the shrimp die. And what that means is the whales were American, China and the Koreans sure. the shrimp. So we use this proverb when whales fight. Just because everybody goes, why would you call a war game when whale's fight? And uh, there's some history to be learned in all of our games. <laughs> so,
0: uh, and, a, and this is a later release this year. What, what's the first game in the Fog of War series?
1: That was Strike of the Eagle. It was probably one of our most favorite games to play. It's phenomenal. So easy. easier than settlers. Game of the year. Yeah, one historical game of the year. Easier to learn than Settlers of Catan, I think. But the only problem is we did this was one of our first games. It's based on the Soviet-Polish War of 1920. And most (laughs) Americans don't know that and they weren't interested. But those that play it understand why we did it, because I feel that the uh, Polish-Soviet War of 1920 was probably one of the most important wars of the 20th century because it dictated the entire, entire thought process of stalin trotsky and how the Russians and the communist movement went how the Poles worked to World War II, and the German outlook. It defined the rest of our century and was one of the most important and vicious wars there was, and most Americans know nothing about it, and that's why we did it. Okay, oh, I'm fun. sold, sure. So give it a try, because it really is fun. It is, it is um, Scotland Yard in a war game. I love okay. Scotland Yard, that slowly, secretly, where is Mr. X? And this uses a big component of that in a totally different way. Hence the name Fog of War.
0: Okay, sure, sure. Uh, Now, uh, this being your sixth Kickstarter, I'm sure you guys are are, – you're pretty attuned to how long it takes these things to actually be made and to come out. Uh, Folks who support the Agents of Mayhem Kickstarter, uh, you're pretty confident that they'll be playing the game uh, come – what, September? What's the target date?
1: Yeah, we, we have it at September, September this year, okay. and uh, yeah, like I said, this game's been in development for already two years, so it, it's we, it has a lot of uh, background and, and pre-development that we've already done. And uh, our last Kickstarter we uh, ended think, in May, and we were shipping in July. Yeah, we we're it was only a, a three, well, months, that's three months three months later that we started shipping. So we we generally we're we're gonna start printing and manufacturing this game when the kickstarter ends sure and so that and the that's why we are are confident we can get about september based off the history of our past kickstarters and uh and how far we already have this current kickstarter developed and this is only being published in english so that we simplifies a lot yeah martin nostrum was delayed just because you know when you have five other languages They don't translate in time. They don't pay in time. It just everything gets pushed off. And so for this game, we did not include any foreign partners. So there's no none of that. That no monkey wrenches can get thrown in from another company. And that wasn't all our choice. I mean, it's 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 a lot of legal issues that need to take place when you get a license with a big video company. So the English was the easiest way to go. Okay.
0: Well, uh, guys, I, I'm just uh, elated that the, the Kickstarter is doing so well. I'm, I'm super glad you guys are running with the Agents of Mayhem license. Uh, I encourage listeners go check out that Kickstarter, uh, and I am now pretty psyched for September of this year. <laughs> and edit this down about fifty percent. Uva, I don't think I. I I, yeah, I love the fact that you guys are engineer nerds, and it, it instills me with a lot of confidence, so I think I'll leave that in because uh, I presume it'll also make other folks realize that, yeah, you guys, you guys are bringing your engineering and wargaming nerdism to bear fully on an Agents of Mayhem board game.
1: And, and, and thank God we still love playing D&D because it's allowed yeah. us to keep our very deep games still accessible. <laughs> we, play, we play Pathfinder every Wednesday. And we're, you know, we love role-playing games. And, um, and play a lot of, lot of Euro games. We play a lot of Euro games. And that's that's where we get a lot of our inspiration for these games, for it's really fun, streamlined Euro games. And you were talking about Charterstone. Love it. I'm playing it with my daughter. Highly recommend it. And I am a fanatic for Gloomhaven. And, yeah, we're playing through Gloomhaven in the office right now. Yeah. <laughs> and then we have Dos Rios set up. So if you haven't played Dos Rios play dos rios if uh, you might lose some friends over it though it's a kind of a cutthroat game
0: <laughs> all right good well uh, i'll take all of those as recommendations you guys thank you so much for your time today uh congratulations on the kickstarter uh and uh look forward to september 2018 yeah thank you tom for taking time to talk with us And so there you have it. The Agents of Mayhem Kickstarter, uh, as of this recording date, is active for another 18 days. Uh, $90 will get you the basic game. Uh, if you also want a copy of the PC game, come on, I'm sure you've got it already, right? Uh, that's just another uh, $15 on top. Oh no, another $25 on top of that. Uh, the delivered delivery date is September 2018, and I'm pretty confident we would be receiving the game around then. Uh, So, and I don't mind telling you, after recording this podcast, I am now officially $90 poorer. Although I actually don't get charged for another 18 days. In 18 days, my pledge will make me $90 poorer. Thanks everyone so much for listening. Uh, Come on back next week. I'm going to be here with Jason McMaster and Nick Diamond, and a very special guest to talk about Monster Hunter World. (sighs) I don't know, I might be the, the lone naysayer during that podcast. Tune in and find out, and I'll see you guys next week. Cheers. Agents of mayhem We gotta say them, say them Agents uniting Fearlessly fighting fighting. Mayhem knows real heroes Babylon, Ruelists, Heamin and little. We will see unity Defend our freedom. Destroy
1: Legion. Agents.